Wednesday, May 2, 2018. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. It is Mental Health Month, and Make the Connection is uh, putting on a discussion tomorrow, uh, Thursday, May 3, at 1 p.m. on their YouTube page. It's going to be a uh, a YouTube live event, and of course the video will, will live afterwards, but it'll go live at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to be an important discussion on resilience and recovery uh, in honor of Mental Health Month. Uh, we're going to hear from U.S. Marine Corps veteran Moses Maddox as he discusses his transition from the military and how he went to extremes to re-experience the adrenaline rush of deployment. Moses will talk about reaching out for support, finding his new mission in life, and building a positive relationship with his son. In addition, Dr. Wendy Tenhula, VA's Director of Innovation and Collaboration, will join us from the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention. She will discuss VA's Mental Health Month campaign, Mental Health Means a Stronger You, and provide information on resources that are available to veterans. And the event is going to be hosted by yours truly, as I help lead uh, Wendy and Moses through the conversation. So hope you will enjoy us. Uh, again, it's going to be on Make the Connections YouTube page. If you, if you search Make the Connection in YouTube, you should see the channel pop up. It, it's got a green circle with a white star in the middle. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, tomorrow, May 3rd. This week's featured interview is with Marine Corps veteran Nick Carnese. I was originally going to do a entrepreneur roundtable, a veteran entrepreneur roundtable, sort of like I did with the women veterans roundtable, um, but could not get people to confirm in time uh, and then had someone back out. And so I ended up having to postpone. Fortunately, Nick, who was on board the whole time, was still down to do it. So he agreed to come in for the one-on-one. Him and I are going to talk about the the, the uh, the journey of entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about his current company, Stubble and Stash, uh, and we're going to talk about productivity, uh, routine, problem solving, stuff like that. So, uh, really cool, really cool conversation. It's always fun talking to Nick. Enjoy. There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. Yeah, I think so. So since I'm growing my hair out, which is something new, I figure I might as well try to grow it out as long as I can while I still have hair. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've talked about maybe doing a, a fundraiser, you know, raise a certain amount of money, then I'll shave my beard. And then um, and then I can do a series about growing your beard, right? Like growing it back. So like real time, like this yeah. is what I'm going through. Like this is what you need to do at this stage. Um, so I've thought about it, yeah, but uh, haven't haven't made any firm commitments yet. But well, I bet it'll happen. I jumped the gun then on shaving mine because I, I just should have just followed you yeah. and uh, taking yeah taking your advice on growing it. Well, we might. Um, I want to do it around like you know September Suicide Awareness Month stuff like that. Sure. So I don't know if this September would be too soon. Yeah. But, uh, it's something something to keep in mind. Very well. Well, the the, the voice uh, across from me is Nicholas Carnese, Marine Corps veteran. Uh, Founder of Stubble and Stash. Are you, are you the only member 
Are you a, are you a? Yeah, I'm I'm the only full time member. Okay, I, uh, you know I, I hire folks, you know, on a kind of a need basis. Yeah, uh, but no full time employees aside from myself, which I guess technically, since it's my company, I'm not a full time employee. I'm just the the owner, right? Sure, I'm doing it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so let's, let's, we're going to start where we start all the interviews and that's the decision to join the military. Uh, bring us back to that day for you. So this started way back in the mid to late nineties when I, uh, became a freshman in high school in 1996. So like a while ago and, uh, my freshman year, my high school had just stood up a Marine Corps junior ROTC program. And it was the first time in the school's history that they had one. And I had this like stigma associated with like JROTC kids, right? Um, but uh, this was actually a really cool group of people. And the Marine instructor, Major Barker, and then the senior Marine instructor, Colonel Romero, um, they were amazing officers and leaders and just men in general. So they recruited a strong group of people from the high schools to include, you know, members of the student body you know, council and varsity athletes. So it was a very diverse, like solid group of people. And they're the ones that turned me on to the Marine Corps. I'd always been into the military and I'd always revered the Marine Corps and then working with them and seeing just how they carried themselves and how they interacted and how they led. I was like, I want to be like that when I grow up. And then they took it a step further and introduced me to the Naval Academy. And that's how um, I realized that that's where I wanted to go for uh, undergrad. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you, so at what point then, uh, in your, in, uh, at what point in your, in your service, did you feel like you had accomplished that then that you'd gotten this, this feeling, this, this look that you, that you admired so much? Um, I feel like I'm still going after it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I always feel like, you know, you can be doing better or, you know, like a little bit of imposter syndrome. You're like, all right, here I am. But am I really like, they're all supposed to be here, but I don't know how this happened why I'm here, but I just guess we'll just go with it. Yeah. Um, so I don't, <laughs> maybe one day, right? Sure. <laughs> Tell me about a, a close friend or a great leader that you had in the military. You can choose either one, but tell me about that person. Yeah, so I'm going to go with, uh, gosh, so many. Um, I'm going to go with Jeff, who is a close friend and also a great leader. And we first started working together um, at MARSOC, at now 2nd Raider Battalion. He and I were in the same Marine Special Operations Company together. And so he came over from, I don't know if they changed the name again, but he... When we were working up for deployment, he came over with the uh, what was called the uh, DST, the direct support team, which was the team of you know 15-ish intelligence professionals, and he was the leader of that group. So he was the chief warrant officer responsible for them. I was the S2. I was the company intelligence officer for uh, for the MSOC, and then he and I just like bonded instantly. Like we view things the same way. Like we view intelligence the same way. We view the approach to, like operations and things like that. Like boom, all online, and then it made my life very easy because he just took such good care of the Marines and, you know, allowed me to focus on some other things to really expand our, our influence in, in the operations that we were running. Um, yeah, just an amazing person who's still doing amazing things like severe, like not severe, but he's had some health issues and he still like works out more than most like professional athletes, you know, wow. just like crushing it. Um, so just one of those guys that just, you know, professionally, personally just like sets the standard and is cool about it. You know, yeah. he's just like chill and just, you know, but if you if you uh, if you don't do it the right way, he's going to let you know about it. So <laughs> you know, got to respect that too. Sure. Uh, so what what prompted your transition out of, out of the military then? So at the time when I was at uh, at Marsoc, um, officers were only doing four to five years, and then big Marine Corps wanted us to rotate back. Um, so for me, they wanted me to go to third recon, is what the monitor had kind of brought to my attention, um, and. 
I didn't necessarily want to go back to conventional Marine Corps. Um, I love the reconnaissance community. I loved Okinawa, but I'd also done a tour there. And so there are a number of factors. One, I wanted to start a family and you know, the op tempo, especially doing that type of work when you're deployed, you're deployed. And when you're home, it feels like you're deployed because you're doing like workups and you're constantly going places for training. Um, so I wanted to be in a bit more of a stable environment. And then on top of that, um, while I was deployed, I did this uh, road project combined with a microgrant initiative um, with a USAID guy. He was our um, development advisor assigned to our SOTA, our Special Operations Task Force, which was one echelon above um, our company. And uh, he and I did this awesome project that at the time, Secretary of State Clinton was briefed on it. And we were told that there was a one in three chance that it landed in President Obama's read book. And everyone, both military and civilian and other government folks were like, you should do this full time. So kind of a decision point, you know, I wanted a more stable kind of like household. I didn't want to leave the special operations community. Recon was very tempting. Um, but then I kind of had this itch to go be, you know, have a greater impact. Right. And then, um, the guy who I started the company with, uh, he was getting ready to leave state anyway. So we decided to like pull the ripcord and, uh, start this company. So that is what, um, kind of encouraged my transition out was to start a company focused on international stabilization um, at at-risk areas, which since I'm doing stubble and stash now, needless to say, didn't work out that well. Gov <laughs> gov government contracting is an interesting beast, especially when you're like, hey, this area in North, uh, in North Africa is trending south. There's no threat there yet, but if we don't do something, there will be. And the response normally is, well, we'll deal with it when it comes up. Sure. And then, you know, here we are. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of those, those factors combined to encourage my transition out. Yeah. And uh, it, it, you, uh, you, you got us almost all the way up until the beginning of Stubble and Stash, it seems in that uh, the description. Um, a story that I hear you often tell when it comes to uh, the founding of the, of uh, Stubble and Stash was this Breaking Bad-like moment of uh, of making your own beard oil. Uh, just briefly tell the audience about uh, about that. Yeah, so the, the whole idea for Stubble and Stash came after my good friend Justin Hansen was killed um, in Afghanistan on July 24th, 2012. So when he went down, he had a big beard, and I decided to grow my beard out for his funeral. I tell most people it's just a coping mechanism. I don't know why I decided to do it. Um, but when I started growing my beard out, as you know, and we'll soon find out again, that it gets really itchy when you grow it out. So I looked for like a moisturizer or something I could use to help with my skin and also help with my beard. Um, couldn't find it, so I decided to make it. And that's where the Breaking Bad play comes in because I was literally standing over the stove and I had all these like beakers and like, <laughs> like scales and like I'm pretty sure like you know, DEA was probably watching my house because it looked like I was running a meth lab. <laughs> and I just remember sitting like making this stuff like lotion with my thermometers on the, you know, and breaking bad waltz in the background, doing this type of stuff. I was like, if my Marines could see me now, I would never hear the end of it. But it's just like, you know, some of those memories are just seared into your mind and that's one of them. And it was, it was just so much fun. I was just like laughing over it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we can even, you can use your, your first attempt at, a, at um, your first business um, for this answer if you want. But um, when you first started getting into entrepreneurship, um, what was something, that, what was a challenge that you, that you saw that, that you weren't expecting or that you underestimated? So I think one of the things I underestimated um, was the burn rate, right? Um, and the difficulty of gaining traction. So those two kind of factor together to, to make life a bit difficult. So, you know, I had saved a lot of money from deployment, so I had a decent amount of savings. So I thought I could like live off this for a few months, but you don't realize how quickly you churn through that money, especially when you're 
essentially doing business development, trying to engage with people, going to all these events and like the travel and all this type of stuff adds up. Um, and then unforeseen expenses, you know, just like I didn't think about it at the time, but for Stubble and Stash, you know, when you're selling commercially, commercially, a good entrepreneur will have product liability insurance. And I was thinking about this, like what happens if someone buys my product and they have like an allergic reaction to it because right. they didn't read the label and I get into trouble. Um, and then I looked into that, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, the one big stumbling block I think that catches a lot of entrepreneurs is the fact that it's always going to take longer than you think. Right. You know, it's not like this sexy, like I'm an entrepreneur now and tomorrow I'm a millionaire. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, yeah. like I joke, I still pay myself like E3 pay, right? Like right. it's still very lean and, and, uh, churning through. So yeah, I think one of the biggest like hurdles most people encounter, um, is how quickly they go through, you know, the, what money they had saved or they don't appreciate how much they do need to, to actually carry on their life. Yeah. Kind of, um, you know, that sentiment kind of goes to the same, the idea of being an overnight su- a success, right. And that anybody that you can call an overnight success will tell you it took them about a decade to become an overnight success. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so we were originally going to have a round table, uh, with a couple other people and, and talk about entrepreneurship because it's one thing that, I know veterans are interested in. Um, we still have a lower rate than we did, say, back in World War II when nearly 50% of veterans were coming back and starting businesses. But um, it is it is stronger now than I think it's been in the past. And I know it's, it's something that VA does a little bit with, with like the certified business and stuff like that, the involvement we have with SBA, stuff like that, but not a whole lot. And I know there's, but there's our veterans and, and uh, especially military spouses and stuff that are, that are interested in this stuff. So, um, you and I are going to try to fill the uh, the the round. Oh my goodness, the roundtable uh, podcast that we were going to have just you and me. So uh, get ready to answer a bunch of questions on your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. Um, when you were trying to figure something out, did you Google it? Did you network? Like, and you can choose any example that you have. But I think that's a big hurdle that people have: is I don't know what to do. Do I go to a book? Can I trust a website? Do I need to like call a professional? What was your approach to pro- tra- uh, problem solving? Yes, <laughs> all, <laughs> yeah, all of the above. So um, I started off a lot of Google research, and I'd always been into like reading business books. So I leaned heavy on um, you know back in the day when people used to go to bookstores like I would sit up at like Barnes and Noble and just like comb through and find a book that uh, was relevant to like the problem I was trying to solve um, a lot of online research but then I was also fortunate to have some friends who were in business like friends of family um, so I reached out and uh, one of good family friend um, he very successful businessman in the early stages he provided some some input and some guidance and some direction um, but uh, yeah otherwise it was just like grinding it out and a lot of what I did was learning the hard way you know which uh, which is why I love helping people that um, are looking to start their own business because it was like you're just wasting time you know and if you're not focused on the right things you're burning time which you know slows your growth rate which you need to accelerate you know so I'm all about um, you know, sharing what I've learned. And, but uh, yeah, in the early days, it was a lot of reading, a lot of web browsing and harassing people for, for help. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- these questions are going to be kind of all over the place because I have them all just stacked in my brain. They're just going to come out as, the, <laughs> as sure. I think of them. Um, going into stubble and stash, what was something you noticed? You're what's something you noticed that you were doing better right off the bat because of your previous experience? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things I was doing better right off the bat was identifying a, a need for a product, right? Because this was need-based. So when I started it, there were very few beard-specific companies, but a lot of the, the ones that did exist, well, the few that did exist were very much like... Um, I don't know, I would think of like a biker gang, right? Like, cool, 
Um, but not everyone's going to be drawn to like this crudely designed skull on a bottle of beard oil. So actually taking the time to develop a product um, like a moisturizer, which is far more complex than a beard oil. So I think from the beginning, one of the things we did was truly understand like the need in the market. And to this day, our moisturizer continues to be our best seller, even though beard oil is far more popular. Right. Um, but we just haven't educated guys enough about the fact that, yeah, there are these products that are multi-use that are um, you know, quite good. So, um, yeah, I think that would be one of the things. And also the ability just, and I draw this from the military background, being able to like pivot. Right. So, um, you know, we all know no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So having this idea and like loving it and then realize, Ooh, this might not be right. And being able to like suck it up, you know, eat your pride and do what you need to do to get the mission accomplished. Right. As opposed to, I think some people are just like hell bent on sticking to their original plan because they're going to do it that way. Um, and I think that's one thing that gives military entrepreneurs a leg up is our ability to, you know, still achieve the commander's intent right but like if we need to adjust our tactics a little bit we're gonna do that yeah answer the answer this question uh however uh man it just it just escapes me oh that was a good question too know. where'd it go where'd it go oh yeah here we go um what what per, like if you were to like uh give it give it a, a pie chart or a, you know if a percentage on either side how much of you can and we'll use double and stash. How much of this has been following what's worked and doing and and being deviant enough to to set yourself apart? Is that am I making sense with that? Yeah, I think and and it's weird because people we're always growing, right? So like interests are changing, individuals are growing. So and I marketing comes to mind. So I haven't had great success with certain marketing platforms. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just not right, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of like a, a tough question to answer because I do spend um, a lot of time trying to understand what's going to work, and then you get it, you finally get it, and then it stops working, and you're yeah. like, uh oh, um, why? What's happening, right? And then you try to do that analysis and try to understand like where where water's leaking from that bucket. Um, but, uh, yeah, now I've gone down this like deep, dark hole and I kind of forgot the point of your question because <laughs> I'm thinking about all the stuff I need to do. Like, <laughs> um, like how, like what parts of stubble and stash were successful because you've sort of followed, you've, you followed what worked before you as in like what you've read, what people have taught you, uh, and then maybe how, what percent of, uh, maybe an example of stubble and stash that worked because you bucked a trend or you you went your own direction and and stood out because you did that. Okay, so yeah, one of the things that, that's really helped is just like the lean startup mindset. So everyone told me like, keep it lean when it comes to your business, like just get to market, iterate, do that. Um, and I did that, right? So I didn't invest a lot of money behind any specific thing until I was pretty comfortable that it was gonna work. And then the one thing I would say that kind of bucked the trend um, was with that moisturizer because the trend in skincare and beard care was beard oils, where the focus, beard oils, beard bombs, beard washes. We didn't start with any beard of that. Beard bombs? Bomb, like B-A-L-M, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> well, there are these things called bath bombs, yes. which are really cool if you've seen those. We thought about doing those for a little bit, but that's, you know, I don't see many guys, you know, soaking in the bathtub, but, uh, um, I'm not going to lie. I, I like a nice bath, right? Well, I'm, I'm too big to really, like, I, I do it very rarely because I'm too big to really enjoy a bath, but, uh, I, I do enjoy, enjoy, enjoy a nice bath. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. It's actually my favorite thing about going to a hotel is they usually have a bathtub big enough. They can enough. fit in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once you like, I'm 6'2". You're 6'2", two, yeah. Yeah. It's, those bathtubs are, are not tall guy friendly. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. Um, what did you did you see the beard boom in the veteran space while you were doing this, or do you, did you just get lucky that this be, that beards became so popular at the conception of this, or or had it gotten popular enough before you started that you were confident there was a trend there? So I didn't really see it as a trend, like oh this is a growing trend, I'm going to get in on it. I looked at it as like this is a product that I need, and I know a number of my buddies are growing beards, and they probably yeah. need it too. So I didn't take that big look, like that strategic look. I was just like kind of in the moment, like I need. This this. I know some of my buddies need this. Um, so I'm just going to do it. And I feel like actually this is kind of where I failed. Um, in the early days when there weren't many competitors out there, there weren't many reputable companies creating beard specific products. I didn't leverage that enough. Yeah. And also with the veteran connection, um, with my military service, I didn't want to be one of those guys that exploits their service. So I started my company in honor of Justin. So that's very personal. And I didn't want to come across or like, you know, I didn't want to feel exploitive. And I feel like a lot of these, some of these companies, not a lot, some of these com- companies are like touting the veteran side, which is good. But then some of them are doing it in a way that it's kind of not demeaning, but it kind of degrades, you know, I, and if it's working for them, it's working for them. And you can't like a successful business is a successful business. You know, you could be sure. all ideological and not go anywhere. And then what does that mean? Right. Um, I, th- I think, I think, what you're getting, what you're, it sounds like what you're alluding to is the, the veteran companies that seem to market based off the fact that they're a veteran owned company and not based on the product or service they're delivering. Like, right. it seems like they are putting their veteran owned business sense first to attract customers and not letting it just be a backup of like, oh, and by the way, we're also a veteran owned company. Is it, is, yeah. I, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, actually, when you put it that way, that, that pretty much like resonates with, with what I'm feeling. So, it's like the authenticity of it, right? Right. So, I don't like it when people guilt, like, oh, we're a company that has this social mission. So, you should buy from us. Like, oh, you should buy from me because I'm a veteran. It's like, no, someone should buy from you because your product is the best one out there. Right. You know, if you're falling back, I'm like, oh, I'm a veteran owned company or I'm like this disadvantaged company. Like, awesome. But that shouldn't be your leading punch. You know, like you need to have a quality product. And when people like try to guilt me into buying something, that's what I'm like, no. Yeah. How long, how long from the breaking bad moment to you being confident of a product to put on the shelf? So over a year. So when I was making that in my kitchen, um, some of my Navy, Navy SEAL buddies heard about it and they're the ones that showed interest. And that's when I'm like, oh, this could be a viable business. Right. And so I didn't want to hand make my products that I'd be selling to people. And that primarily comes into a uh, consistency, like being consistent in the quality product you put out. And then also um, health concerns. Um, since when you're you know, I'm all about handmade products, but when you're talking about products that like go on your face, the amount of like bacterial testing that we do, stability testing that we do, the chemistry behind will your product interact with the container that it's in um, over time? Like, is your preservative system correct? You know, are these harmful bacteria going to start growing? You, it's really difficult for an individual to do that without that specialized training. So I decided to find a um, cosmetic lab and worked with scientists that specialize in cosmetics um, and working with them. It took us over a year before our product was ready for market after had the aha moment. Yeah. And so, and that was for the beard oil. No, no, that's for the moisturizer. Oh, that's for the moistur- yes. moisturizer. So okay. the beard oil is new. We just launched that uh, this past fall, like September timeframe. Finally jumped on the beard oil bandwagon. Gotcha. I told so the moisturizer came first. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. 
Okay. So then is those your two products or do you have, do you have more? So we had, so we launched with the moisturizer. So it's the dual purpose facial moisturizer and beard conditioner. Um, and then we launched the beard wash. So face and beard wash. And then we had the beard balm, which we've been sold out of for over a year because we're tweaking the formula and that's a whole other yeah. complex topic. Um, and then the latest product was the beard oil. And then to complicate things, right, the initial packaging that we launched with was like the 85% solution. I designed it like real quick, you know, kind of like um, not exactly the level of uh, brand identity that we wanted. So we just rebranded. I don't like the word. It was like a typewriter font. Yeah. Right? yeah. It was, was kind of like this old school. With the ampersand yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the original. And then um, I did this veteran entrepreneurship program at Stanford at the Graduate School of Business, which yeah. is amazing. I encourage any veteran like interested to go do that. Um, and that's where we did a lot of polling, a lot of like market analysis. And the first thing both men and women said when they look at um, when they're considering men's grooming products, uh, masculine packaging. So that was like the, the the push that I needed to go like the professional route. Um, but since we changed the packaging, I didn't want to invest any more money uh, making product in the old packaging. So that's why we sold out of some things. So like the beard wash right now we're sold out of right. because we're waiting to get the new packaging done. So I could have made more, but I didn't want to invest money in inventory that's going to last for you know a decent amount of time when I want to get the new stuff out so the line's cohesive. Did you did you outsource this? Did you like how did when you realized you needed a new brand identity um, uh, aesthetics wise? What how did you how did you go get that? So I was put in touch with this design firm in Manhattan, um, which I would never be able to afford otherwise. But uh, the guy who owns the firm, um, he heard about the story, and since I was referred by a mutual friend, um, they cut us a really serious deal. Um, otherwise, there's no way like a small business like mine could have hired that type of talent, um, but worked with them for a pretty long time going back and forth. And it was amazing, their process. So we started big picture, like we can put together like a, a vision board or yeah. like kind of like a mood board. And then from there we narrowed it down, like what type of voice, what do you want to convey? And all these things that, you know, you and I might not consider, but like different fonts convey different emotions and different stylings and things like that. And like all this stuff, like, you know, and, and, uh, on the veteran angle, right. We talked about this and I use this quote, you know, from, um, Oh, what's it called? Uh, Tropic Thunder. You know, he's talking about yeah. you never go full, you know, you never yeah, go full yeah. retard. Um, so when they're asking me, like, how heavy do you want to lean on the veteran side of it? And I was like, well, I don't want to, to quote Tropic Thunder, yeah. you know, I don't want to go full veteran, right? Like, I don't want to, <laughs> so I want, I want it to be approachable because, yeah. I mean, so few of us have actually served in the military, right? So I, I want it to be appealing to a large, you know, segment of the population. Um, but yeah, so we worked with that firm. Um, and I think the packaging took almost a year as well. What what do you outsource? So um, since we're based here in Washington D.C. and square footage is very expensive, yeah, um, we outsource production. So we work with an FDA. Um, I want to say accredited, but I don't think that's the right term. Um, but basically, in the pharmaceutical industry, the FDA regulates that. In the cosmetic industry, the FDA regulates the good manufacturing guidelines. So people that are making stuff at home aren't necessarily adhering to the FDA good manufacturing guidelines. So I wanted to work with an organization that is professional, right? That is compliant with all these regulations, that knows everything, that knows all the safety standards, that knows all the production standards. Like, And so we outsource that. Um, the goal, I would love to have our own manufacturing facility, but that type of equipment to do the complex products that we're doing, I mean, we're talking like millions of dollars in equipment, which obviously we can't afford right now, right? Um, so yeah, we outsource that. And then 
uh, we do fulfillment in-house. So when you place an order, we pack it up. You're going to get a nice little handwritten thank you note. Yeah. Um, that's sustainable now as volume continues to grow. We have an idea to outsource to a company that essentially is like us, right? So it doesn't feel like outsourcing. Um, but these are the decision points that I'm making, right? Do we want to get warehouse space in D.C. and hire people, which is there's a huge expense there, again, because square footage is so expensive, or outsource it to these warehouses that have, or this company that has warehouses across the country. So if you order, you get it within a few days, just like on Amazon, right? Right, right. Um, so that's kind of what we're leaning towards. Uh, and then otherwise, like the creative, the content, like we all do that because like, that's the voice, the authentic brand. Um, so the, the big things that we do um, outsource, uh, any type of specialized design work, you know, it's just easier to hire someone to do that. Um, and then the production, even though the word outsource sounds kind of like foreign. Like we have a very close relationship and we go, I go to the, to the facility and like the guy who runs the facility has a big old beard. So it's like, cool. It's like, it's, yeah. we all feel like we're in the same family, you know? Yeah. Uh, what about, what about, uh, bookkeeping? You do it yourself? So I do it myself, but I just, I have an accountant that, uh, this awesome, like old school New Yorker who's just in Arlington now. Okay. Uh, you know, he shoots me straight, like the very blunt, you know, like Nick, you're doing this wrong or Nick, you messed up or Nick, you know, that's awesome, you know. Right. Um, so he handles our taxes. The day-to-day -day accounting I handle, but I've been working with a, uh, a gentleman in New York who's another entrepreneur um, who uh, is very good at what he does. And so he um, will do some of the heavy lifting for me, but then otherwise he just provides a little guidance. So he's actually cleaned up our books a lot. And uh, he offered to do more of the work, but you know, I like to get into it and learn something before I pass it off because I need to be able to speak intelligently about it. Yeah. Um, so I might outsource all of our bookkeeping to him just because it is so time consuming, especially as you grow. Um, but the day-to-day -day stuff, you know, we're still handling in-house. Sure. Do you um, use QuickBooks for that, Excel? What do you use? QuickBooks, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I only ask, I've realized that, that the, the financial side of it, not just managing the money, but tracking it and, and accounting and everything like that, um, has is is always a big question for for entrepreneurs. They never know like where to start. I think the biggest question is, I think, and I I had this for a long time. Am I doing this right? Yeah. You know, like, am I am I keeping are my records good enough? Am I keeping, especially when you start messing with inventory, mm -hmm. right? And and like, how much is my inventory worth? And am I am I tracking this correctly? Um, what uh, what learning process did you go through to make sure that you were that your your books were tight and that you were you were uh, straight and narrow? So mainly working with this guy because I ran into this issue where, in theory, the our revenue was higher than what it felt like. And I was like, okay, in theory we have all we have we made this amount of money, but why? Where is that money? Because we don't have that much in our bank account, right? And one of the problems that he identified was. Um, with wholesale, people that send checks, like that's fine, right? We would create the invoice in QuickBooks, send it to them, and then we would deposit the check and we would match it, right, in QuickBooks. But some of the other, our other wholesale partners like to pay with credit card, so we use Shopify as our e-commerce backbone. So what I would do, I would create an invoice in QuickBooks, and then I would create a draft sales order in Shopify and email them the link so they could pay online with their credit card just like you would normally placing an order. And then once I saw that payment, I would just like, mark that invoice in QuickBooks as deposited. Well, the problem was my bank, my numbers in QuickBooks were registering that as a sale, mm. right? So it would add like, we'll just say like $100, right? It would add $100 into our balance in QuickBooks. And then Shopify would deposit into the bank account, right? Because they pay out every day or every few days. So then I would get $100 there. So that would get added. So that one wholesale order was really only $100, but in my books, it was $200. Uh. So I was double reporting some of our wholesale orders. And so he identified that and like went and cleaned it up. 
um, which was good. But then our overall, you know, annual revenue dropped. It dropped to what it really was. And then he also identified another thing with Shopify and Amazon and things like that. They charge fees. So I was just matching like, okay, I just received this deposit from um, Shopify for like $100, right? Okay, $100. Well, actually, we made more than $100, but they deduct the credit card transaction fee, right? Um, Same thing with Amazon. You know, they deduct all their Amazon fees. So actually, we were making more money than I was tracking because I wasn't adequately registering those expenses, right, for the the credit card fees and and stuff like that. When I, uh, um, when I, when I, you know, just finished our 2017 taxes, and that was the the one thing I had to go back, like, that was the, the, uh, what's right, like, um, why I'm not thinking the right word for it, um, like, it seems so, uh, why can't I think of the word, Nick? Are we talking about the deductions here? Are we talking about order? Uh, like going back to all the retail sales, because I use Shopify as well, uh, and going back and making sure that I was accounting for what the what the gross sale was yeah. and then the transaction fee and all that sort of stuff. Uh, tedious. There we go. Yeah. It was very tedious, very tedious work. Yeah. Uh, worth it, of course, because it's uh, it's it's accurate, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's very tedious work. Um why why are you in Washington DC and I know you were here I think for the first business right this is where you yeah. t- why did you stick around for Stubble and Stash so I yeah I came up for the first business because if you want to be in international development you need to be in the district um, and then when I wanted to use software uh, that I use in the military so we'll just like throw it out there we use Palantir so I wanted to use Palantir in our business and I was put in touch with a company in Alexandria um, through a mutual friend, one of my buddies who used to work at the agency. He's like, oh, you got to wor- work with this guy. He has a company that uses Palantir. And as a small business, you can work with them um, and access their stack, right? Access their version of it. Um, because otherwise, it's very expensive like to use it on your own. So I met with him, Pat. And uh, uh, Pat Ryan, awesome guy, West Point grad, but we don't hold that against him. Um, <laughs> so Pat, you know, I talked to him. He's like, hey, dude, if you ever need a job, just let me know. I'm like, okay, cool. So when I realized that um, the stabilization group wasn't going to take off because of like the burn rate, I was living here in DC. My business partner was up in New York. Um, I went back to Pat. I was like, do you still need, you still need some help? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man, love to have you on board. So he brought me on board his company and I head up, uh, I, I led the, the team of folks that was supporting the intelligence community uh, here in DC. Okay. So that's what kept me here. Um, and then um, shortly after I started that job, that's when Justin uh, passed and then I made the, the transition over. Um, so I thought about, I thought about moving, you know, I've got family in Texas, family in California, um, but then like all things, you meet a girl and then <laughs> it's funny how that works. You know? huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk a little bit about beard care. Um, because I'm sure there's plenty of people in the audience that have a beard. They've been hearing you talk about beard care in this business and all that sort of stuff and maybe curious about actual beard care. Why is beard care important? And I asked that as someone who for like a long time didn't put any product in my beard and wasn't quite sure if that mattered or not. Yeah. So that's a common question. Um, a lot of guys, I mean, myself included, right? Like in the Marine Corps, you know, we were deployed, like I would rarely put on sunscreen. I'll put on my plates, you know, I'll put on my helmet, um, go do work, but I wouldn't put on sunscreen and it showed, right? Like your face starts to get leathery, stuff like that. So when it comes to your beard specifically, um, it matters if you care about your appearance and the way you present yourself to the world, it matters because if you don't 
keep your beard well hydrated, you can start getting split ends. Um, you can develop some odd smells because bacteria does grow in your beard. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Um, just like there's bacteria all over your skin, right? Um, um, so that's important. Uh, also, like the itch, the comfort for you. Um, if you don't properly take care of your beard, you can develop beard dandruff. Um, you can start getting that itchy beard, and then your significant other, uh, we joke, call it hipster herpes, right? When you have a, <laughs> when you have like a short beard that's dry, you know, yeah. you rub up against someone, it makes their face all red and like irritated. Um, so you have to be considerate, right, of your partner because if you've ever rubbed up against a beard that's not well maintained it hurts same with me like when i stop using products to test new products like i notice my beard getting like crunchy and it just irritates me like when i'm sleeping and it like rubs right. into like part of my skin um so it's it's very important and also to going past beards but into skin your skin is your body's largest organ which i think most people fail to to realize that your skin is a living breathing you know organism essentially um and you need to take care of it because as we age um you know some guys are concerned with wrinkles others aren't um but uh, if, you know, the daily uh, exposure to UV rays, pollution, um, you know, free radicals that can damage our skin, it can cause your skin to break down and lead to problems further down the line. So just from an overall wellness and health perspective, um, it's important that uh, the guys keep their skin well hydrated uh, and also um, with using antioxidants to fight against those free radicals that can actually damage your skin as well. Um, so that's all, all very important. Plus, you know, you look better and we're big advocates for like mental health. And I'm a firm believer when you look good, you feel good, yeah. right? Like, you know, I've wrestled with depression and I've been like, haven't showered in a few days, like in my sweats and I feel awful. But then like <laughs> you take a shower, you do your hair, you put on a suit and you feel good. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like the fake it till you make it. So that's another thing too, is like, guys, it's okay to look good. It's okay to take pride in your appearance. Like in the Marine Corps. Oh my gosh. Like you want to talk about taking pride in your appearance. Right. You know, you got to keep that high and tight. Well, I never did that because I was a bit of a rebellious guy, <laughs> but you better believe my uniform was always like fresh. And like back in the day when you'd polish boots, like you want to talk about a spit shine, like game on yeah um yeah so how, how often do you groom it so i groom mine daily trimming i i trim um i trim it myself every week or every two um so for me like i can tell when i start getting you know different flyaways you know, my beard has a mind of its own so sometimes are you just taking clippers and sort of shaping around it yeah so yeah. i use uh, electric clippers um, scissors are great for like detailed work. Um, but what I do, it's kind of a two day process for me because my beard is so thick that, uh, what I'll do, I'll brush it out and then I'll, I'll trim it just by eye. Right. Cause I kind of know the line that I want when I first started doing it, it's nerve wracking and you're going to make mistakes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of like go down visually and then brush it out again to make sure that I'm getting all the beard hair straight. Uh, and then I'll wash it. And then the next day I've always missed something. Right. And then I'll go back and touch it up. Um, what I've also started doing is using a rolly brush. Uh, in a hairdryer. So to actually, I don't know if you've ever seen people using like those circular brushes, like pulling out their hair, it helps to straighten it. Um, so I'll use a small roller brush to help straighten out my beard because you know, your whiskers do curl in different directions. So you might have some stragglers that are really long that you miss. They're just kind of like curled up. So if I want to do a real detailed trim, I'll go in and kind of smooth it out that way yeah. and then and trim it up. But uh, yeah, I do that probably like every week, two weeks on average. Yeah. Um, another question about entrepreneurship I wanted to ask you and, 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 um, you know, when I was talking to Mark Rockefeller over at Street Shares, you know, he joked that entrepreneurs give up a forty-hour work week so they can have an eighty-hour work week, right? Um, how have you? And you can talk about the progression from beginning till now, where you're at now. How do you maintain that work-life balance and making sure that you're giving your business as much as it needs to thrive without burning yourself out? Yeah, that's tough because I don't think, especially in the early stages. Um, it's, it's very hard to find, right? Because like in the beginning and you're so passionate about it. Like I remember when I first started, I would be working until two, three in the morning and then I would wake up 
like at six and get back to work and just be going nonstop. And, um, and it's fine. Right. But as we talked about earlier, it only takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. So as the years pile on, you start to get run down and people talk about like entrepreneurs, like you got to be grinding nonstop, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, that's what real entrepreneurs do. Grind, grind, grind. And they're like, that's not sustainable after years. Yeah. And then the added pressure on top of that, what I realized, and I was talking to a few other veteran entrepreneurs, whether we realize it or not, the op tempo that we had in Iraq and Afghanistan in those deployments, and that, that's also exhausting. And like the mental weight that we carried around of like the how big our mission was and how important the work that we were doing uh, was and continues to be, like that wears down your your mind. And and it took me a while to realize that because. I started losing, no, I don't want to say I lost interest in the business, but like my stamina wasn't what it used to be. And I was just like exhausted and like, I didn't want to do work. And I'm like, that's a problem. This is my company. I should be passionate about it. Um, why am I having this? And I actually went to the VA and talked to one of the psychologists up there about it. And she was awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah. So like now what I've, <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I, I shut off my phone. Like I focus with intent on a specific issue and I won't engage with anything else. Yeah. And that's it. And that upsets some people. But I'm like, hey, these are the lines that I have to set, right? Because, you know, it's like if you have 30 hours to do something, you're going to take 30 hours to do it, yep. right? So I, I found that I have to set boundaries for myself. And, um, and you know, people think that since you're an entrepreneur, you can just go do whatever. Like, oh, hey, Nick, you know, let's go grab drinks. I'm like, dude, it's noon. He's like, yeah, but you work for yourself, right? So it doesn't matter. It's like, it does matter. Yeah. You know, people think that like it's all flexible and you can do whatever you want. And if you fall into that trap, then you really start getting yourself in trouble because then you start slipping and stuff like that. So um, I, I would like to say that like I've just started setting boundaries and some people don't quite get it yet. And that's fine. Like if you don't get it, that, that's your problem. It's not mine. You know, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, but I still feel like I haven't hit that proper balance yet. Something I used to do, I don't do it so much anymore, but something I used to do was monthly, have a monthly like social happy hour where I would chew I would like pen social or something like that I would invite every person that I could think of to come join me and it was my way of like outsourcing my social <laughs> like that's smart like plan like I, yeah and if if you couldn't make it, you couldn't make it but this was everybody's opportunity to come by say hi catch up stuff like that uh and then no one no one really could do the hey it's been a while yeah thing right because they they if they've dropped by in their mind they check that box of oh i've seen tim recently um but you're right people my my wife for the longest time and it's probably actually i don't know it may be still the case i should ask her like her emergency contact is her mom really because she's confident or she knows that in for in an immediate emergency someone's not going to be able to get a hold of me because my phone is on silence for the same reason like if i'm in work i want to work yeah and yeah I'll, I'll you know i check my phone once a week or once an hour right i'll flip my phone over see if i got any texts or anything but like no one can like get a hold of me right now and so she has her mom as her emergency contact knowing that her mom will be available <laughs> sooner than i will that's, <laughs> that's actually really smart yeah yeah, yeah it was pretty brilliant yeah um, so, uh, I can, I resonate with everything that you, that you just said. How do you, um, how do you build in time for the other things that are important? Like the lady, like exercise, like reading, stuff like that. So I, um, I actually started using an app to track my, track my hours and I'm still trying to get my morning routine down. So now I found like, I, I love reading business books. So like when it comes to reading, 
Um, I used to read before bed, but when I read like nonfiction, it fires me up because I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I want right. to do that, whatever. So I found that like reading in particular, I'll do that um, in the morning when I'm reading like professionally uh, to start my day. And then for leisure reading, like I'm not a big fiction guy, but I'm trying to get more into it to help with creativity because if you're always focused on like business, then it's a problem. Yeah. Um, but I do that at night before bed. So trying to um, reduce that, uh, that um, you know, TV time and, and stimulus there. Um, but when it comes to like making that quality time and, and especially exercise, like I've learned when I do not exercise, my performance fails. Like it, it decreases noticeably, right? So I just have to you know, be disciplined enough to be like, okay, I have to go work out. And I found for me, it's easier to be disciplined in the late morning, you know, like go work out. And then for the significant other, like, you know, you just have to just be able to say stop and like kind of going back to like turning off the phone when it comes to like friends, but also turning off for like the business, you know, like it's not going to fall apart if you don't respond to an email in two hours. Right. Right. You know, um, and it comes back to where your priorities lie. And also it's nice when you're, when you're, uh, like my girlfriend, she's very understanding. So she gets it and she's never going to be upset. Like, Oh, Hey babe, I have to do this. But you know, they want to feel like their time is valued and appreciated. So, um, I found that when you make them happy, they have a tendency to want to make you happy, which just works out well for everybody. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what, well, well I could sit here and talk about this stuff for, for hours with you, but uh, I'll, I'll be mindful of your time in the audience. Um, to, to wrap this up, give me, give me something that you learned in the military or something you gained from the military that's contributing to your success today as an entrepreneur. Yeah, don't give up. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks in the military, you know, through the, the rigors of the training that we go through, like you learn that you can take a lot of pain. And uh, same thing in entrepreneurship. I think so many people fail because they quit too soon. So that just never quit. Like, I'm not going to quit. You know, like, it's not happening. You know, like, you're going to carry me off the battlefield. That's the only way I'm leaving until the mission's done. And uh, I think that's something that uh, veterans are, are really good at is that just like the attitude, just like grind it out and to take the pain and to be able to endure those hardships. Because, I mean, as an entrepreneur, anyone that's in the trenches right now, you know, it sucks. You know, it's, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. But uh, there are some days when it's like, this is this is hard. And some days when you can't really pay yourself that much, you know, or when you're like, Oh gosh, yeah, I could be taking a civilian job and making a lot of money, but just that like tenacity and the ability to like grind it out and endure it. Like, you know, the suck, right? Like, yeah, yeah the old Marine Corps recru recruiting posters, I didn't promise you a Rose garden. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, I think, so I, I would like actually for you to address that the, I mean, you're, you're spending years as an entrepreneur. Do you, are you ever afraid that you'll, you are, taking too much time away from another like building another career um that could that could you know that should stubble and stash for some reason not work out that you're you're prolonging the challenge of getting back into a civilian career so i think a lot of that factors into just building your personal brand so for me i love stubble and stash i love the grooming arena i really enjoy that um, but what I found through this whole process is I love helping other people and like the excitement of business and helping folks that have an amazing product. Like, oh my God, this is awesome what you're doing, but check this out. If you do this, you're going to like five extra sales. Right. Like I learned this the hard way. It took me like a year to figure this out. Like, let me beeping help you right now. Like, <laughs> let's get like rocking. Right. I love that. So like for me, like I see myself personally evolving, you know, from stubble and stash and then maybe concurrently, or maybe if there's a time, you know, when stubble and stash, like in the way distant future, you know, if part ways or like whatever, I don't know. Um, but I would love to help other entrepreneurs and also like some of the funding challenges that I've faced. Um, I would love to be able to get into that position where, you know, maybe as an angel investor, like helping yeah. other entrepreneurs, um, not just financially, but also from the knowledge base and, yeah. and bringing other people together. Cause I've encountered so many people that are like experts and it's like, you know, 
like the ODAs, right? Like the Army Special Forces, right? They have their, you know, their weapons sergeant, you know, their intel sergeant, like all these guys that specialize, like bringing those folks together um, and doing amazing work for for small businesses. Because like, you know, right now I know entrepreneurship is very trendy, um, but I, I think we're just getting started. And there's so many wonderful people out there with great ideas. And I want to be a part of like helping folks like realize their dreams. So um, I don't think it can hurt. I, I don't think like, you, you mentioned, you know, spending all this time on the business. Um, if I ever transition to civilian role um, or a non civilian staff role, like I don't think this is hurting me or setting me back. If anything, like all the stuff I've learned is actually putting me ahead of people um, because so many people are in like business advisory roles or whatever, and it's all theoretical, right? So it's like your professor who's read all the books but has never actually done it. Right. Like, you know, I'll hire you any day over like, you know, some person with all these degrees that's never actually been like on the receiving end of bad financial news from their company, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, last question. Tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Oh my gosh. Um, I, a lot of them. Um, so Derek Herrera and I'm blanking on the name of his company. Um, awesome guy. He has a name sounds really, yeah, he's, too. um, he's paralyzed from the waist down, uh, Marsoc guy. And uh, oh, now I'm totally not doing him justice, but he's doing this amazing work for um, some medical devices specific for those types of injuries. Okay, um, absolutely amazing. Um, and then um, not I, w- I wouldn't say like it's not a veteran company, but like Stanford, their business school, they have sure. the post on 11 Ignite program, which is doing amazing work. And then um, Bethany, who used to be there, she is now part of this company called Breakline, um, which is focused on helping veterans get into tech. And they're based out of Palo Alto and they're doing amazing work. Um, but yeah, like there's so many like awesome veteran companies out there. It's hard to kind of narrow it down. Yeah. Okay. Nick Carnese, Stubble and Stash. Sure, thank you so much for your time, and I, I appreciate you uh, educating us a little bit on your on your entrepreneurial journey. Hey, thanks thanks for having me. Hopefully, I provided uh, a little bit of value. <laughs> VA's round the clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call eight seven seven four two four three eight three eight. Thanks again to Nick for joining us. And just a reminder, tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Make the Connections YouTube page, we're going to have a May is Mental Health Month discussion talking to a Marine Corps veteran about their transition and recovery and uh, a doctor about best practices for for addressing mental health. Uh, And I, I will have the honor of hosting the event. Hope you join us. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Luis Mosher. Luis was in the United States Army, held the rank of second lieutenant at the uh, at the time of honor. Uh, he was in the Philippine Scouts Division. The conflict was the Philippine insurrections. Year of honor is 1913. Citation reads, Voluntarily entered a cleared space within about 20 yards of the Moro trenches under a furious fire from them and carried a wounded soldier of his company to safety at the risk of his own life. We honor his service. Thank you to everybody for taking the time to listen. There's a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these powerful veteran stories. Hope you will be following us on Twitter and Instagram at DEPT Vet Affairs. And be sure to leave us a rating and review in your podcatcher of choice, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen. Do appreciate the feedback. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. <laughs>